As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you, Why mad? you mad? Okay, um, uh, what's up? Pinche Luisa, carnal. <laughs> vato loco. Que onda, vato? I don't know, is that right? You went this way. <laughs> no, I'm this way. I know that one. I know that one. Um, hi, Jake. Hi, Yessi. How are you? Welcome to Why You Mad to both of you. Uh, I guess let's just fucking introduce our guests, right? Yeah, of course. Yessi. Uh, from, uh, wait, Jesse, what's your last name? Do you share it? Because it's not on any of your social stuff or on your podcast. Uh, Are you just yeah. mysterious Yesi? I love that. La Yesi. La Yesi. That's La Yesi. My, that's my, uh, my chola name. Uh, I, no. I, I also, I also have a chola name, which I guess is appropriating. But no, go for it. Go for mine it. is La Lucha, right? La because, Lucha. yeah, because Mexicans yeah. call Luis's Lucho. Mm-hmm. Right. So then, if you make it lucha, and then it's like battle. So yeah, we love to we love to take yeah. the s sound and make it a ch sound. That's, yes. That's so good. I love it's to Mexican pretend energy. if I were a Mexican that that I would be called lucha by everyone, and it's awesome, La and I lucha. love it. Lucha, we love it. Yes. Uh, but uh, yes, he is uh, one of the co-hosts of Hot Girl Agenda, great podcast. Check it out if you haven't. I believe Jake and I have both been guests on it before, yes. maybe together. Together, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There you go. Um, and then, of course, Jake, how are you doing, buddy? What's up? Oh, right uh, as you walk away, yeah. My uh, Pinche Murray was opening my door, so <laughs> I was gonna be like, Tell me, Murray, to fuck off, blood, <laughs> blood in, blood out. Murray, he's in, yeah, like he's, in. he's gotta die to get out now. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I'm Hakobo for this podcast today. <laughs> Or somebody would call me Joaquin for a while, which I don't think was actually, oh. I think they were doing it wrong. Um, Guaco? <laughs> uh, Guaco? Or is that a Colombian thing? Might be. In Colombia, yeah. we, would, we would call it Joaquin Guaco. There's something. Guaco? I like that. Yeah. I, I didn't think about this until, it occurred to me eventually, but it, at yeah. first it didn't occur to me, which is that this is all Mexican shit and you're Colombian. So they're... There's, yeah, yeah. There's a, so there's it's weird because I'm uh, depending on who's listening, I'm in group, but depending on who's listening, I'm out group. Ooh, interesting. Uh, think, you know, that's yeah. kind of like ex- like the movie itself, Blood and Blood Out. Like if you look at the, totally. the cast and shit, it's just like not even just the cast. Yes, I know you're going to get into the history of it and I love it. And this is what I want to hear about, because for me, so just briefly, this is the first time I've ever seen the movie in its entirety. <laughs> it came out. Oh, we're talking about blood in, blood out for everybody who didn't gather by the title or description by right. now. And everything uh, around it, too. Like, all yes. the, the, <laughs> the genre <intro> of film, <laughs> how it came from fucking... Um, yeah, so if you haven't seen it, warning. Uh, yeah, there's all kinds of slurs in it, murder, kind, all kinds of stuff, violence, <laughs> sexual violence. So Pretty like, don't, yeah, don't come crying to us. So that's what it is. <laughs> um, and and uh, if you so are I, Mexican and you're listening to this, you should have seen it by now. Shame on you. Totally shame on you if you didn't, because uh, so it came out in 1993, and in mm-hmm. 1993 I was like 11 or 12, and I remember when it came not. Maybe not exactly when it came out, but somewhere in the mid nineties, my mom was watching it with her friends. Uh-huh. And it was the kind of thing where it's like, get out of the room, children. You're too young to see this. Oh, and boy. so, yeah, we were not a- allowed to watch it. But even though we were like a, co- a Colombian family in a Cuban enclave, we like 
Batos Locos Forever was a reference point for every single Latino right. that was like 12 or older <laughs> in the early oh, wow. 90s. And like, even if you didn't get to watch the whole movie or understand, like I watched it today and I was like, oh shit, I totally got it. I knew what it was about. I know what Batos Locos Forever is about. And more importantly, why we'll see, at, we'll get to the end, but technically the final fucking thing we're all supposed to be saying is la, Viva La Onda. But that's not what people say because that's not the takeaway from the movie. Right. But we'll get the the takeaway is about those locos forever. Yeah. Um. So it's weird because you're right. It's not about my culture necessarily, but it was also I think like the Godfather for Latinos mm. or like you know what I mean, where it was this like big epic yeah thing that involved um, mixing of races and immigration statuses mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. living in poor neighborhoods and choosing. Um, violence and crime as a way to try to change your position in life mm-hmm. uh, going to jail for it and then having to exist within that new reality like all of this shit is stuff that I think resonated for all Latinos in America yeah well so, I mean even yeah. like like okay so Blood and Blood Out is a movie based in uh, East LA or whatever and it's like yeah. it's about a specific even within like Mexican shit a specific scene you know but sure. Just because it's about that, it's not only for that. Like, I grew up around Latinos from all different backgrounds who all loved, like, Scarface, which is, like, an Italian guy yeah. playing a fucking totally. Cuban. And then also just straight up, like, like The Godfather and shit, which is not even Latino at all, but it just overlaps so much with all the gang stuff and whatnot that, like, unironically, like, so it's, no one's, I think, really, like, guarding these, um, you know, these lines uh, to make it specific to, ethnic or national or racial groups or whatever it's all kind of a big love in or whatever um Mm -hmm. and like it's weird though because i'm from texas so there there's like back and forth between like texas tejanos chicanos Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and like california mexicans and stuff like that um and like even though i never lived there let me tell you something the thing that jumped out at me (laughs) immediately watching this movie as an adult is that I am not fluent in Spanish, really. <laughs> I worked in kitchens and stuff. I can speak a little pigeon Spanish, uh, but you know, I've talked about it a million times in the show. They beat it out of you when you come to this country, and yada, 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 right? I'm not fluent <laughs> in Spanish. I understood every single word of Blood In, Blood Out because it's oh, hell yeah. it's Spanglish and it's all yeah. slang and stuff, and it's like all of the curse words and stuff that you know, like that's kind of specific to like the like chicano experience like the american yeah, yeah. like chicano calo like yeah. it's like our like slang that came out of like circular migration and then also just like the kids who ended up here in the states on this side right like it's just the weird slang that um i think about like calo like chicano calo and how it shows up in like like latino movies or whatever as sort of the same way that like clueless influence uh youth youth language because yeah. you know youth language in the united states used to be really um regional and then clueless came out and linguistics were like holy shit this movie fucking like flattened language for youth flattened slang and i think you know from the from the like 80s to the mid 90s chicano calo and the way it came out in like all of these movies especially like blood and blood out um sort of did the same thing so that's kind of like what happened to Latinidad in this country, like the Latino diaspora, everybody started using these words, even if you didn't really use them. Yeah, totally. 
and it was weird because it kind of does it did a flattening of culture mm. uh, also where uh, I guess like what Jake was saying of uh, it it did this thing where it allowed us to relate as this big homogenous group instead mm-hmm. of subdivide into groups because my experience since I grew up in Miami is that Latinos subdivide <laughs> because like once you exist in a place that is majority Latino, you know, like I moved up to the North and people here were like, they immediately were, they identified the phrase, Oh, but where are you really from as like a racist microaggression? You know what I mean? Oh. And the thing is like, I grew up in Miami with like Latinos st- mm-hmm, straight up mm-hmm. saying to you like, Oh, but really, where are you from? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And they like mean like, exactly what racists mean i guess but not in the fucked up hate you way <laughs> like that you don't not in a here. stratifying way but yeah. in like a and classification that, way yeah and like tell us your flavor and your food and your music you know like let identify mm-hmm. yourself kind of thing so it's even like uh you know it breaks up into neighborhoods mm-hmm. and people go to their restaurants that are their their food but then when we have something like blood in blood out it's like, oh, yeah, this is all about us, about all yeah. of us. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, this applies to all of us, um, which is interesting because I guess it also, Jesse, uh, do you know anything about whether there was like, I guess not backlash, but like, yeah, I guess backlash by uh, by Latinos who felt like this was like a negative representation of them? Yeah. So so it's it's a trick because like so. Blood and Blood Out was recorded like right on the heels of American Me or filmed rather right on the heels of American Me. American Me came out in 1992 and um, Blood and Blood Out was like in I think it was like in post like right before American Me came out. They held it. So Disney was the owner of the subsidiary that put out Blood and Blood Out and they held it for a year because of the L.A. uprisings. Yeah, they were like afraid like, oh, this is going to start like. Latino uprising. Even that's though- also why they changed the title. Exactly, yeah. they changed it to like "Bound by Honor" or something like that. Yeah. Um, but like, so so when it came out, it was already past this like very specific temporal moment. But like, Latinos and specifically Chicanos from East LA were like, "This isn't us. Like, this is embarrassing. Ooh, yeah, this is not how we do things. This is like glorifying our violence rather than like the kind of." resilience of our communities because you know like in east la uh the chicano communities are like generations old they're like very very established and most of them like uh you know boyle heights especially they're they're very um upwardly mobile so politically they were like not wanting to identify with this like kind of almost like la bamba era like like dusty sepia toned yellow like struggle struggle film you know yeah, struggle porn kind of, right? Which yeah. is uh, sort of like, reminds me of two things. One is like Italian Americans also like felt like that about the Godfather. <laughs> you know? Oh, for sure. There's like a bunch of them who like protested it and whatever. Um, but also the fact that that issue has come up again. Um, I'm sure you both saw this with this fucking lady who wrote the book about um, like a migrant um, um, teen who was migrating. And then it turns out that she's like white and she oh, basically took this American story from somebody dirt. else. Yeah, American yeah. Dirt. I think that's the yeah. one. Yeah. And so like that has brought up this whole conversation about how this insistence on representing groups through their suffering is like struggle porn and like suffering porn, right. you know, where we want to insist on like doing this. But then it's also like, 
I feel like sometimes the people who think that are also insisting on only pro- projecting their hopes for their culture in the mm-hmm. most positive way and therefore and thereby I guess avoiding dealing with some of the negative things that are true in our society right. or in our culture group. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I guess it's a it's objectify object objectionable. There we go. To feel like this is being represented as like, this is the only version of Chicanos, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to think that it's a false representation, I guess, is a, going all the way the other way. I don't know. I have a I big, mean, like, like oh. yeah. big brain take about this. Yeah. Cause I mm-hmm. kind of like, uh, I had so much fun watching this movie. And then I <laughs> started thinking about what you were originally, you had hit me up and were like, you know, it wasn't even specific to this film. You want to talk about the whole mm-hmm. like kind of era of films like this and like, yeah. you know, born in East LA being like the comedic sort of satirization of it and stuff like that. And I think we should probably get into all that stuff later, but like, <laughs> there's also this film Zoot Suit, which is a Broadway wow. play, uh, that they made into a film in like the 1981 that Edward James Olmos is in. And like it's it's you know it, it goes back to the the Pachucos where they would wear the fucking zoot suits and dress like mm-hmm. you know Tom and Jerry when he was, yeah. he was playing his little thing and <laughs> and like uh, how that um you know that stuff led to the zoot suit riots and so I started watching that movie I haven't finished it I just put it on a little while ago um but I also watched The Outsiders this week just to happenstance happened to be on HBO and I hadn't seen it since I was a kid yeah. so I started watching it and I kind of had this big like thing hit me when I was thinking about all this which is. So I grew up in Houston in like mostly black and brown neighborhood and like a lot of black kids in the South, you know, and I I was around like dudes that like when there's a fucking police shooting, you know, white people have a hard time seeing these pictures of these kids and not going, he's a thug. You know, they all do this thing where it's like, look at him. He's sagging his pants and he's got a fucking, he's wearing a wife beater and he looks like a little thug. But I grew up around these kids and I remember like everyone looked like that because it was just fucking fashion and we were like working class kids, you know? And I remember distinctly like this argument that a friend of mine got in with a teacher in high school because all of the old people would tell the black kids like you know you got to pull up your pants or else no one's going to respect you and all this stuff and like yada 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 and a friend of mine was fucking brilliant was talking about this with a white teacher it was like what about the greasers you know like white working class kids had this shit where they would like grease their hair and they would wear weird clothes and stuff and Everyone like everyone just thinks it's cute, you know, and it's like this boys will be boys thing when it comes to white people. But when it comes to black yeah. people, it's like, you know, you could fucking get killed over this shit because they're like, yeah. you're in a gang. You have a gun. Yeah. Right. Or hippies. They got away with it, with that shit into college years and twenty, like mid 20s being yeah. fucking losers with long hair who smell bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, so yeah. that movie Zoot Suit, uh, that's also a play, I guess it. It opens with this kid and he's wearing his like Pachuco suit and he's like getting ready to go out to, you know, go dance at a club. But his mm-hmm. older Mexican dad is like, you know, what is this fucking stupid thing you're wearing? And like, you know, you got to join the military and like stop doing all this Ooh, bullshit. Yeah. So this yeah. thing you're describing, like with uh, Blood In, Blood Out and with like there being sort of a conflict between wanting to be represented that way. I think it's yeah. like generational maybe because like you've got the Absolutely. older people who are like no, don't like bring shame to us by making us look like trashy and stuff like this. But then you got the kids who are living in this stuff who are like, you know, yeah, vatos locos forever. Like that's the best part of the movie yeah. when they're having fun yeah. and they're a little gang and they're riding lowriders and shit. That's like the part of life that we enjoy, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, not to bring white artists into this bullshit, but uh, it, this reminds me just of the Yates and Joyce comparison, you know, mm-hmm. because yeah. uh, Joyce uh, was somebody that was writing like the filth of the human reality of Irish life. Mm-hmm. And some people, <clears throat> Irish people in Ireland and of Irish descent were like, this is disgusting. How could he do this? This is terrible. And then we had Yates who insisted on only like projecting and uh, reifying <laughs> these uh, narratives that were about either a time in Ireland's past when they were like great warriors mm-hmm. or a projection into the future of what Ireland and Irish people could be. And, you know, this one felt like that was the job of art was to give people hope and like something mm-hmm. to strive for and something better to be. And Joyce and people who like Joyce feel like art is for turning a mirror on humanity and showing the truth about everything we are, even if it's gross to look at sometimes. And I think maybe like the reality is it has to be both things and we have to stop rejecting the other. You know, we just have to be clear about what art is trying to do. I think that's true. But but I think with Blood In, Blood Out specifically, there's like and, and, and also like. I think of Blood In, Blood Out as sort of like a culmination of that like era of of Chicano films that like was like 15 years of Chicano uh, visual art, right? Like like films and 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 paintings and all this stuff because um, there is a generational thing there, but there's also like the the context of what was going on in uh, the borderlands and in California because like California is a huge ass state, but it's also a border state, right? So we got to look at like both of those things. So like. In the early 90s in California, um, Pete Wilson uh, was the governor and he was like this really gnarly, um, like very like fiscal oriented Republican governor um, who was like tasked with taking California out of this um, recession that it was in um, post the 80s, right? The boom of the 80s. And, you know, the way that he did that was like, rolling back all of these uh, protections or vetoing protections for uh, vulnerable people um, in the name of enticing business to be there. So one of the biggest things he did was um, he pushed for Proposition uh, 187, which was uh, banning undocumented people from collecting safety net services, right? And, Mm -hmm. And that's something that like we've only in California, I've only started to like push back on in the past couple years, like literally two years ago. Um, And so like, when you look at that sort of context of that, plus um, the militarization of the Southern border, you had, um, you know, in El Paso, you had Operation Hold the Line, which which was the first like attempt at making the border like a, a, like a militarized space. And then you had NAFTA in 1980, getting passed in 1992, which led to the uh, you know, the tortilla crisis, meaning um, because the U.S. was sending all of its surplus corn to be bought by Mexico, um, like small uh, corn farmers couldn't get um, they couldn't get their corn purchased for tortillas and the price of tortilla plummeted. But like it basically sent the economy into a tailspin. So you had like a massive influx of Mexican immigration and Normally, that immigration was uh, circular. We call it circular migration. Mm-hmm. Like folks would come in with the farming season and then dip, go back home. Um, yeah. And only very few people stayed. But with the militarization of the border, the borders got shut down. People couldn't leave anymore. So our communities just like blooms, right? And right. so you have all of this tension. And so when Blood In, Blood Out comes out, it's like it, 
it's like you've got the tension, the generational tension, but you've also got the assimilation tension. You've got folks Absolutely. wanting to be left the fuck alone by the state, by, you know, La Placa, whatever. And like, and, and, and this feels like something that will lead to like anti-Mexican sentiment, right? Yeah. So let me pause you there because, um, so circular migration, I think is something that, uh, not a lot of people know about. Like, have you heard this term before, Jake? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or of no? course. I have, okay. but I'm from Texas. Okay. You, right. You're yeah. From Texas. Yeah. You're from okay. a border state. Yeah. So I would also say that maybe people who are not Mexican American or of Mexican descent might not know about because mm-hmm. immigration does function different, differently for all kinds of Latinos, you know, and like totally. we yeah. don't have to go into it, but, um, just as an example, the, the position and the relationship between Puerto Ricans and the state is different for them than it is for Cubans and the American state than it is for Mexicans and the American state, mm-hmm. right. right? Et cetera, for all these different countries, depending on a whole bunch of different factors. Um, which means that there are types of Latinos who have never experienced having like, quote, an illegal or an undo- undocumented family member, for example, mm-hmm. although they still have family in another country and they can't return for other reasons, et cetera. But circular migration was a very specific thing that I think is important to point out because as, as Yessi is saying, it sets the, the the mood the vibe yeah. the tension of right. what's happening in blood in blood out because i think a lot of people especially americans white americans maybe even black americans might think of like mexicans coming to the u.s as like oh they wanted to be here they all wanted to be here of course mm-hmm. that's why they keep coming they all want to be here but there were actually two things happening one is america doing shit to fuck up life in mexico right mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's one thing And then for like hundreds of years, circular migration had been happening, which was part of what contributed to the growth and success of this country. And what it was, was that uh, workers in Mexico would come up and even sometimes lower would come up and work just particular seasons on a farmer visa and then return with their money to go and take care of their families. And while they were Mm -hmm. here, they paid for the things that they used here and then they left. And it was a perfectly good arrangement until it was the idea of militarizing the border and stopping migration became politicized. Mm-hmm. And then it became just like a, a fucking like um, platform talking point thing that they turned into a crazy thing that now people think of like borders have always been hard and solid and this right. has always been a problem. Right. It's not true. So all of a sudden there was a date when. If you are in America, you leave and you can't get back in. Mm-hmm. If you are in Mexico, you can't get back in. You can't get in after this date. So all of a sudden, all these people had to make the decision between like make money for next season for my family or don't go there and stay here and figure out how to not starve. So then they ended up like straight, straight up like rupturing families where okay. now suddenly people who didn't want to be here were just here because they were like, okay, well, I have to send money back to my family there. So they were living in horrible conditions. They were doing all these things. And then little by little uh, communities built up around those people who stayed. Mm-hmm. And that's where we come from in this uh, in blood in blood out, where it's like a bunch of people who are living in poverty in um you know, mistreatment by the government or even mm-hmm. like over policing, all of this stuff, they didn't want to be here. And then they're all ending up as jail fodder. And this is what we end up with and blood in, blood out. Yeah. Can yeah. I do a little detour here for a second? Mm-hmm. I want to talk about something else too that overlaps with all this because there's uh, the, the border stuff is like obviously this huge element, right? And then there's also <coughs> the NAFTA 
second thing, and I think mm-hmm. like a lot of people don't understand because this word neoliberalism gets thrown around so much, especially online these days. Yeah. People think it means literally everything you know that you don't like about liberals and whatever. You know, this mm-hmm. fucking movie is neoliberal. This box of cereals neoliberal. Yada yada yada. Right? <laughs> it's taken on this all this stuff, but. What's important about the original meaning of it is that it describes a method of accumulation, which is sort of that, um, you know, you had like imperialism, you had white mm-hmm. colonizers like conquering the globe and they always had like a frontier, especially in America. There's always a frontier. Like if you need capitalism thrives on expansion, it has to expand. It has to keep right. growing and in order to create more profit. But eventually we covered the kind of globe. Like there's only so much, you know, there's only so many people to enslave, honestly. Cause like you think it's not even a space thing. It's people. Like you need people to work for mm-hmm. <coughs> capitalists to uh, extract value from. And so we're finding out after the, <laughs> with you know, nobody taking any jobs. Right. <laughs> um, so after, you know, this entire continent is expanded. That's liberalism, right? Neoliberalism is realizing, oh, wait, okay, so there's a second phase we have to kick into in order to continue expanding, which is then like this this crazy thing where – so with NAFTA, you have this situation where you created a like a system of um, really like juicing up the way that the United States extracts from Latin American countries by creating mm-hmm. laws where – uh, you know, the, the fucking workers, it, it, you use an American company can, can ha- be profiting off of workers in another country that does not have the same like worker protections as the United mm-hmm. States and yet still call yourself like an American company. You're like working around this thing where, you know, in America, it's great to be a worker. That's not, but all, but it's like, you know, you have minimum wage and weekends and stuff like that. In Mexico around this time, this cranked things up to such a degree that the the zapatistas like formed in the in the in the you know in the memory of the original emiliano zapata that they used him as a mm-hmm. you know an icon or whatever uh because this is the same fight happening it's continued forever right so you know you had these people that like realized that all of this basically returned everything back to the original like um you know, uh, what do you call it? Like indentured servitude sort of thing, like de facto, right? Yeah. I mean, you pretty much turned back into slavery. Like people were getting paid to work in these factories on the border in like cents a day, you know what I mean? And yeah. it's worth nothing. Yeah. So like, this is what fucking Rage Against a Machine was singing about at this time or whatever. This is mm-hmm. what, what all that means, which is why, uh, I just, it's a soapbox I get on from time to time because I have a leftover, no, you know, fucking chip on my shoulder from, yeah being called a fucking, you know, a white Bernie bro socialist for so long, which is, this is like extremely relevant to not a white thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, this is yeah, because yeah. I no, came from another is, country, you know, and that shit also, uh, like besides being unfair and like a way that they're cheating the whole fucking American dream bullshit by going out and, um, outsourcing labor who they then underpay and treat really badly mm-hmm. is that they also then destabilize the economy and labor value within the countries that they're in, which right. then drives migration to the United States further, right. which mm-hmm. then leads to a, another fucking cheap labor source that you can exploit and be another, uh, 
population that you can criminalize and make money from by putting in jail right so you have people that are saying oh people like they're coming to this country because this country's so great and they're just jealous and they want to fucking it's like no you turned that country into an organ of this country (laughs) like it's connected by what you fucking did so you of course the people are gonna come here and that's what's beautiful about Blood In, Blood Out is that it shows you that it's not always fucking roses and shit when you come here. It's fucking even when people were here for a long time and worked hard and do whatever they can and stand together, shit will fuck you up. And it's the system. I hate that the cop ended up. Well, let's talk about it. Let's fucking get into it. Uh, let me ask you guys something because I'm sure we'll come back to history. I got two important questions for you. OK, one is who do you identify with? And two, who's your favorite character? Let's start with Yessie. Oh, God. Like, Yessie. Okay. Um, so, I got to say, like, let, let me just, like, give you the context of how I watched Blood and Blood Out. I was six when it came out, but my dad was, a, like, a diehard cholo. His gang was called <laughs> Puente Vista Locos. Mm-hmm. So, I was like, you he like, got the, like, spider tattoo, spider web tattoo on both his elbows. He's Hell got, yeah. like... My dad Hot. is like. How old is he? Mm, hit me but, up. No. <laughs> Where are you from? I'm from me. San Francisco. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So like, so from the Bay Area, oh, from see. San Francisco, from the Mission, right? Like, so it's a totally different kind of Chicanismo, but it's still like all of this like subculture is very the same. So like, I pretty much. Yes, see watched... the essay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the essa, ese. Right. I don't, I don't know. How do you gender neutral that? Um. Sx. 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 No. Um. So yeah, like I've I I've been watching parts of Blood and Blood Out since I was like seven years old. Um. So it's like I've gone through different phases with it. Most like some cringe, some like okay, you know what? Like this is part of who we are. Um. So with that, like I feel like my favorite character, like by far, just because of like how like fraught he is and also because like how poorly Damien Chapa played him was Miklo. Um mm-hmm. Miklo's great. It's a really sad character. Um but I feel like I identify most with Cruz. Like the like Ooh, the why? Head, because he's like kind of like a Rasa head like hippie, hippie artist. Head. Yeah. And I was like very much a Rasa head for a little bit, which okay. is Cute. very embarrassing. I would love to see pictures. Uh-huh, oh my god! Like I've I've got like I've got uh, tattoos that are like of uh, of the like Mexica gods or the Aztec gods from the Munich Codex. Like that's how bad I was. Like it's embarrassing. Fucking love it. Yeah, love it. And also, I feel like Cruz is like if you think about this like a hero's journey, right? Cruz is kind of like the mythical mentor is of the three of them, right? Like he's got the like cosmic worldview, right? So he's sort um, of the guide, yeah, yeah. So that, that's kind of my those are my two, though flawed himself, also, indeed, right? <laughs> yes, Jake, what were yours? Um, well, I have a really similar answer, but probably for different reasons, I think. So okay. I identified most with Miklo because he is white. You know, he's got mm. white skin. He's got Ooh, blue but so that's eyes the opposite. She said Miklos is her favorite, not who she identified with. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. identify with Cruz. I see. Yeah. Right. So I got to switch. Okay. I have it switched around. Okay. I identify okay. most with Miklo because he is, his story is tragic, right? And it's tragic mm-hmm. because he starts off like as a, a figure who's out of place. And so that sets in motion all of these things that lead to him becoming like, you know, by the end of the movie, this horrible fucking person who's like yeah. mangled and he's a crime boss and all this shit. But it all starts mm-hmm. like, innocently enough with, uh, 
you know, I mean, he what he lives in, in even before the movie even starts, it's a, it sort of implied, you know, but via the the film, like he lives in uh, Las Vegas, and he mm-hmm. something happens, and he's caught up in the fucking criminal justice system or whatever, and then he's like replaced and. Uh, no, dude. What Wait, happens what happened? is, I, I, I literally just saw it right now. I finished twenty mm-hmm. minutes, five minutes before the podcast. <laughs> um, this is because at first I, I fucking thought that Miklos's dad was like, uh, like half white or maybe like a, uh, uh, you know, third generation Mexican who didn't speak Spanish anymore. Because I also was watching on YouTube and you can't fucking see shit with all, yeah, this, or whatever. Okay. Yeah. So I'm like watching and watching. And I'm like, I gather. Okay, now I gather. His dad is white. But what happened was that he was like working in the fields when things maybe like in the summer when there's no school mm-hmm. for his dad. And his dad, who seems to be a very abusive, horrible white man, uh, I guess at some point like did something horrible to him or like said something bad to him. So he beats the shit out of his dad when he's like 16 or something, oh, when he's right. really like big enough. Mm-hmm. So that is when his dad sends him away. Cause he's like, Oh, well now he's a danger. I can't abuse him, you know? Right. So he sends him away to go live with his Mexican family. Right. So he goes at first to his mom, but then that's like a weird situation. Cause his mom's like a young mom who's partying and whatever. <laughs> so then he goes and stays with his aunt and his cousin right mm-hmm. right right yeah. okay 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 i remember yeah. sorry this is a three-hour movie i've been watching it for yeah, three days exactly. because, yeah. i never realized it was so fucking long and then i also watched it today like this like yeah. this morning and i was like fuck yeah it's <laughs> it, it's weird because it feels like why you know you could have just be like a series or like a it feels like a lifetime you know fucking movie that's on all day with commercials in the middle and stuff i think they realized there was nobody was gonna let us make it in three parts like the godfather so they're like put it together now the whole thing get it all in there well so so i like miklo because he is you know he's a cop between worlds i mean right from just cursed from birth you know i because i always have I I am uncomfortable 100% of the time in my life. Like I'm never really fit into anything and I always have the thing that uh Edward James almost yells about in the van in Selena when he's Selena's dad where he's like mm. not Mexican enough for the Mexicans, not American enough for the Americans or whatever. Yeah. Um and so I I immediately was like I could identify with like where this guy's coming from. Although it's crazier. He's like blonde hair, blue eyes. Like he was one of those weird <laughs> yeah. like you like why do you sound like this but look like this kind of guys or whatever it's like he probably has like my dad a little worse <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I, it's a little different my mom's blonde hair blue eyes so she but she's like white my dad's mexican usually people uh-huh. it's the other way around i love my mom it's not a weird i don't have that thing going on where he's like a tragic <laughs> i hate my dad guy or whatever um who he got the whatever so yeah. <laughs> okay, so who do you like the most? It's the same answer, Cruz. Because same answer, both of them. But no. like, oh, Cruz. Okay. He's well, all, why do you like Cruz? I like him because he. I mean, he's an artist. You know, all he really mm-hmm. wants to do. He's driven entirely by like his. He's sensitive. You know, he's got like a vision, and he like reacts to the world. And I kind of think like with guys like that, especially when you see like him painting uh, Quetzalcoatl and stuff like that. You know. A f- He's few, doing the Yates thing. A few generations, to, like remind you, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Well, because yeah. like that stuff is closer to like you know the indigenous culture than yeah. like if you're like Irish and you live in America or something like that, or like British for God's sake, some shit like that. Oh, dude, but because- but to defend Yates, he was uh, hearkening to things like the like Cucullin and like pre-Britannic, mm-hmm. uh, like 
tribal shit. Right. So Yates which is, is as old as it gets for the whites, you know. Yates is a version <laughs> of this guy, but this guy's in the 90s. So I guess yeah, exactly. why he sticks out to me is like a figure like that mm-hmm. is because, um, you know, I mean, I guess I always saw him and I'm like, the, the the thing that sucks about being an artist is that the world liberal bourgeois democracy is set up in a way that uh, you don't really fit into that. Like, mm-hmm. it's you constantly fucked by having to commodify your art and stuff like that. In yeah. the old world, you were a shaman. And then after that, you were kind totally. of taken care of by the nobility Society and stuff like that. Care of you, yeah. And this guy's clearly like his, his purpose in life is to, you know, divine meaning out of stuff. But he's like, he gets jerked around so much throughout the story yeah. because that doesn't really fit into the world we're living in. Capitalism and fucking yeah. everything. Yeah. You see that with the, even with the fact that it doesn't work out. When he has a successful art- yeah. artist show. And actually, he was really interesting to me also. It's funny that you guys bring it up. I also think that it means you guys should be friends and like chat all the time because you <laughs> like each other's of course. identity. <laughs> but uh, I <laughs> did love carnales. that. Yeah. Carnal. <laughs> I, I like the um, thing with the uh, that happened in the art show because mm-hmm. I also thought it was like such a, you know, we we mentioned that there's like, so many things happening that it's such a long three-hour movie that could have been like a series or multiple parts or whatever. And this artist thing is like the throwaway thing kind of in the middle. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, dude, it was so important because they kind of like make more of a big deal that Cruz uh, became an addict because of the fact that he participated in this violent act and he got his back hurt. Mm-hmm. But the artist thing was, I think, as impactful to his identity and his trajectory as was the back pain and the drug addiction which was that he uh, found himself succeeding, right? Mm -hmm. And not just succeeding in the eyes of himself and his family and his friends and his people, but also outside of his culture, because it was Mm -hmm. like a white gallery with a white fucking curator lady or whatever who was running the show. And they, there's a scene where like his friends, his vatos come in and they're like, obviously not, art clientele who are going to pay thousands of dollars for a painting right Right. so the white lady is like immediately being like stop talking to them like get rid of them because they're just looky lose they're not going to buy anything so he feels this pressure from her and which represents like of the whole white art world of like oh i'm not supposed to be associating with you supposed to be acting like this classy artist and fucking getting money and selling my shit but then on the other side is his vatos being like, oh, man, come on. Do you have money? Like, give us a little bit of money. And like, are we going to get at, get together afterwards and get drunk? <laughs> like, what, what's the thing? And so then it's like his old life and his old culture and his friends uh, not only calling him back, but also expecting to gain from his gains, which mm-hmm. I think is a re- very real thing that happens to immigrants and artists from poor and uh, marginalized communities and all of that. Yeah. So it's like such an amazing thing because the pressure that Cruz was under was like a very specific, different thing that also, I guess, one can identify with. But it's not what I identified with. I, like Jake, identified with Miklos because of the whole like nobody wants you thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, just in this way of like, oh shit, I totally get the inclination of wanting to like prove yourself and belong and like be like oh I know I don't look this way but I I can speak Spanish or I can do this or like how can Mm -hmm. I prove myself let me tell you about my parents they look as brown as you you know like that kind of (laughs) stuff but I also like grew out of that you know what I mean so that made me not love me close the like 
I loved him at the beginning because I was like, oh, this is going to be me. Right. But by like halfway through the movie and then all the way through the end, I was just screaming like, no, me close. No, don't do that. No, don't do it. <laughs> you know, it's like, no. And it was because he is so far gone in his desire to find ho- find a home and find approval and like prove himself the most Chicano in a way that like even like Cruz <clears throat> mentions at the end and it's just like he like we don't feel that pressure that he feels to prove himself right. Chicano mm-hmm. you know what I mean so that's why I identified with him but I didn't love him because he made he reminded me of things about myself that I don't love right but my favorite was Montana Mm. check that out i'm gonna go with a fucking gang leader (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah, and it's because so montana for anybody who hasn't seen the movie he's the head of la onda which is like the 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 mexican gang in prison in saint quentin and uh you know i thought he was like an amazing fucking character because and like maybe i have my own partial reasons but (laughs) i thought he was amazing because he was like simultaneously this guy who was like preaching this very real chicano ideal of like the chicano ideal is not about like who is and isn't mexican but about the fact that together browns and blacks against whites are it's the only way we'll make any real change in our life and like that's what he kept saying and that's why for a long time he was a good leader of La Onda was because he was making sure that he was taking care of his people while maintaining this peace with the black group in jail mm-hmm. that then provided them some strength against the evil white people. Sorry, white people. <laughs> so, um, but then what ended up happening? Oh, so like, I think he's great because he did have these ideals, but at the same time he lived in reality and dealt head on with like the moral quandaries and the fucking necessary violence and didn't moralize I guess and act like he was better than and everyone should should be like a perfect little angel you know turn the other cheek kind of shit it was very much like codes right like he had codes exactly no pimping no yeah exactly the white guys are getting a solid dick to coke like he was against coke Mm -hmm. and then that's what ended up being his downfall was that or like why they went after him is because within his own group is because the white group the Aryan vanguard was um trying to divide and conquer the blacks and the mexicans Mm -hmm. so they started provide like selling coke to one black provider and one Mexican provider so that they could sell Coke to their respective groups. And they were therefore like pitting them each other as competition Mm -hmm. for this drug sale, which the whites were not using or selling to anyone else except for like the two main dealers. So it was purposely like a divide and conquer thing. And Montana said so. And so he was like, we are not going to get involved in this because this is their plan is to get us to turn on each other. But some of the part of of some of the members of La Onda were like, well, you're keeping us from making money and you're keeping us from having power because we're not having access to this drug if you don't let us. Mm -hmm. So to me, this character and this situation is the crux of the problem if we're going to do a capitalist reading of this uh, movie, which is that he represents the ideal of holding like uh, cultural and human values and social values and then the ways in which capitalism makes that impossible, right? Or like mm-hmm. is always going to put pressure on those ideals to not 
be your primary uh, concern or even possible to execute because the driving need for uh, money and power is what from within turned it into like, well, forget all these beautiful ideals about brotherhood and humanity and fight the white man, <laughs> you know, you know, two out of three is great. I think three out of three is great, but you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> so he was to me the most tragic character in the fucking thing. I mean, I know Miklos is also tragic. I like, they're all pretty much tragic, but he was the, he represents kind of like the leftist ideal sort of, if you get my meaning. Yeah, totally. He was the class right? warrior. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So he's my favorite, but I know that I'm I am shitty Miklos. <laughs> I'm glad no one said Baco. Oh like, no! Yeah, fuck a cop. It'd be like get the fuck off the podcast right now. Yeah. Baco is so disappointing, man. Uh, yeah, and with his little like sunglasses and tucked in chambray shirt, like get out of here. He sucked, but like yeah. that is really how that happens, really right? Shit. Yeah, like mm-hmm. yeah, he it does. Was it totally does. One of us. He got busted. Mm-hmm. They said you go to jail. You go to the military. He goes to the yeah. military. Next thing you know, he's a fucking cop. Well, then he comes back and his little brother ODs. Mm-hmm. So he decides that like the best way he can serve his community is by being a cop and being a narc. I think he's a narc on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and wow. so he's like, uh, you know, that is how it happens. Exactly, Jake. But it is this thing where like, it is interesting that the movie ended with Cruz kind of like forcing him to acknowledge that everything that happened is kind of his fault. I mean, like, it's not because everybody put themselves in their positions, but he was the one who, knowing that Miko wanted to be like him and was younger than him and all this, was like, yeah, okay, you want to be in the gang and whatever, then this is what you have to do. And he's yeah, going to push on Spider. And yeah, to do the all thing right. to, like, get revenge on Spider for attacking Cruz, which then is what got them arrested and mm. put them each on their respective paths, you know? And, like, maybe they were on a similar path before then, but that was definitely the fucking fork in the road for them. Yeah. Um, and he had to admit... So I thought that was interesting because it's kind of like the, the Latino amongst us who obeys all the rules, follows all the rules, you know, assimilates the most, becomes part of the system... Yeah, in on paper it seems like they succeeded, but they don't end up happy. Right. You know what I mean? So I still mm-hmm. thought he was like a good lesson, even though I hated him. Totally. And I think, you know, if you look at LA, like the I I would say that Paco was like the like ideal outcome of that, but like if you look at LA, like LA law enforcement is a fucking shit show and like those like folks who those people who were in gangs that joined the law enforcement, like, started new gangs in law enforcement. In law enforcement. Like, <laughs> like the sheriff's yeah. department literally yeah. have gangs, and they literally do blood in, blood out, like, to, to like, maintain their position in their respective gangs in the sheriff's department. Like, Incredible. it's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. It's so, it's so wild. Like, um, one thing about Cruz that I really I wanted to talk about, though, was, like, so Chicanismo, like, has always been like in its roots it was a political identity it was a it was it, it, it had its roots in the farm worker movement um you know at, at, and you know we talked i think we talked off offline about uh luis valdez and like rascuache theater and like how uh chicanismo was this idea of hodgepodge right like the art that we made was hodgepodge we took all these different elements and we made something out of junk basically yeah. um and so like 
that that in and of itself was political, uh, uh, illustrating the complexities of life as as diaspora a diasporic community. Ni de aquí, ni de allá. Not from here, not from there. Is political, mm-hmm. right? But like in that political nature, like in Jake, you kind of touched on it, wanting to connect to like something outside of mestizaje like okay like obviously like being colonized is bad and the colonizer's bad and the white man is bad but what do you do when your whole identity as a mestizo is half colonizer right Mm -hmm. so they lean into this like indigenous thing this mexica thing this aslan thing but it's all fucking fake none of Mm -hmm. it is like couched in any kind of reality like it's all made up shit like aslan isn't real um mexica like grandeur and mythos isn't real um the aztecs were colonizers like you know all yeah, of this shit right. is really fucked up um and and you know there were indigenous people who actually lived in the lands that we call aslan and they're not being acknowledged by chicanos at all like so yeah so when cruz is talking about aslan and like how beautiful it is and this in this ideal and this wonderful thing that we'll reclaim like yeah he had to get fucked up because like that's not real like yeah there's no way to make that real Ooh, but you know what? That is so awesome that you bring that up because that is also um, an idea that has circulated, you know, for a long time that um, I guess in anthropology in the West and history, mm-hmm. they tried to do with all with just the idea of where humanity came from, which is this idea of the pristine primitive, or I think mm-hmm. there's another term for it, but this idea of, of like humans were somehow pure at some point in the past and we just need to find like the right one to then like try to return to you mm-hmm. know what i mean mm-hmm. so for a lot of diaspora um populations from different countries especially if they are separated by violence or some other reason that they were not able to connect with their previous previous is a weird word but i guess ancestral groups that's sure. the correct word um then they are very, even Americans, because, you know, people don't acknowledge that the vast majority of Americans are not like aristocrats who mm-hmm. like know their family trees and their family crest and shit. The vast mm-hmm. majority of Americans are literally Euro trash who came looking for a better life in the same way as a Latino comes to the border in 2021. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And because of like that, there's this like whole obsession with trying to find where you came from and what is your like primitive, pristine past that you should mm-hmm. be trying to return to. It's why people do the, the 23 and me's and all this stuff. Like, what is yeah. my real identity and my real home? But all of that is fake. <laughs> all of that is not a real yeah. thing. Yeah. So it's like a, a philosophical philosophical or intellectual fallacy that we live under that there is some kind of like primitive past like pristine past that we can return to i think this movie is cool and that um the main character this guy miklo is like kind of a even further extrapolation of the whole mestizo thing the the like the schism in it to begin with which is what we're talking about here because he's like Mm -hmm. it's happening double to him because now there's like Mm -hmm. A new, you know, community that he's then kind of uh, splintered away from, or whatever. And it kind of reminds me of like the Irish main character in Goodfellas or something like that, mm-hmm. or or what happens in The Outsiders, where this one kid gets away from the group long enough, and then he like bleaches his hair and shit, and he doesn't look like a greaser for a minute, and it causes him to like think about all this stuff from a different point of view. But like, <clears throat> you know, this thing you're talking about, it's tragic because y- you're right. All of the the stuff that they're harkening back to is fake. And if you understand that, you should be 
you know, doing <clears throat> what like uh, what's going on in like Chicano culture you were talking about. I think, if, I think if I understand this concept correctly, it was like more like, no, we're going to make it about the here th- and now thing we're actually experiencing rather than try to like try to uh, live in this new space. But like to be true 100 percent to a culture from somewhere else. Um, yeah. But then when you see Miklo go to fucking prison, it's like, well, you can't there's circumstances in which you can't just be Miklo. Like he literally yeah. like he's being thrown at first between like the Aryan guys and the fucking Latinos. And you're watching it. You're like, which one's going to land it? Like I could see this going yeah. either way because they do yeah. kind of grab him. The the Aryan guys for a while and they make him work for him. And it's like, yeah, he could get sucked up into that one. But but yeah. he, that's a fucked up situation for him because he's, you know, Latino. Uh, yeah. and then, you know, he gets, you know, eventually he gets protected by, uh, you know, people that are like, like by circumstance, there is a, there, some, there's something real and tangible in the, the, the grouping of like people that he gets involved in. He, it, it literally yeah. saves his life. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. There's also, um, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. I, I tell me if I, this is bad take, but like the sex stuff, right? Uh, so, you know, we can acknowledge that in a lot of Latino cultures, homophobia is a big thing, but, and I, and I obviously do think that a lot, a lot of the way that sexual interactions were represented in this movie are based in homophobia and the Mm -hmm. idea of, uh, gayness as a punishment and gayness as a way of taking control over someone. But there was also this angle in which it was kind of like, a really good uh, representation of sex work in one way and two of how, and hold on before anybody gets crazy, I'm going to explain. <laughs> and then, and two of how like capitalism and especially for an immigrant labor, let's say, yeah, puts you into these positions where you are going to do whatever you have to do to survive. So mm-hmm. I think the second one is more obvious, right? What I mean is that, Miklo doing the whole like uh, allowing sexual advances from the cook guy and like pretending that he was going to eventually play the game of being a sex slave to these white guys in prison was something that he was doing to survive. Right. And that he was doing to manipulate and to be able to like exist in the world as it was because he had no other control over it. Mm-hmm. But then I think it, you know, was a good representation of sex work because although not all sex work is survival sex work, mm-hmm. survival sex work is this kind of thing. And I think that this representation is useful because in a lot of ways, in a lot, a lot of ways or in a lot of times men are unable to identify with survival sex work. Yeah. And this kind of shit, which I know it's problematic in so many ways to say, but like this kind of representation and of like seeing a person have to like literally feel that their body is in danger unless they exchange themselves as a sexual good and they see it as a possibility because it's the only way to survive. That is a, the reality of capitalism for all of us, even though people pretend you're not getting fucked in the ass by capitalism, (laughs) but B is also the reality of sex survival, sex work, right. And which is often, the realm of women and queer kids and such right i think i think it's really good that you brought up like also the the complexity of masculinity for um mestizaje or latinos Mm -hmm. or chicanos because like think about american me which came out the year prior um in american me there's like a really violent um rape scene of one of the the male protagonists when he's young and then he goes into prison and it's like 
re- this this sexual violence is reproduced. And then there's a scene when he's out and he tries to have sex with a woman and he can only um he like forces himself on her and they have this like this replay of this violent scene. Um I think that like is in a very similar way shows yeah. the like the fragility of this like type of machismo, but also like the trauma of being um a man within this way. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and what's a trip is that like that so so that because of that scene, like um Elena, which was the ba- uh the gang that um was based on like the the movie, like I mean the gang that the movie was based on, like Eleme sent like hitmen out to like kill people who worked on the movie and then extorted Edward James Olmos, like all this right. they were mad about this like depiction of them. It wasn't any of the like violence or any of that or anything yeah. they did. It was like Gabe this- told me about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it was just like you know, like you kind of lost, you missed the point, but like also, like that is how deep this like internalized, you know, misogyny, yeah. fragility. Which also points out or like highlights right now the fact that like that's a story that's completely absent and erased from Blood in, Blood out is what a gay Chicano would be going through in prison or mm-hmm. outside of it, you know, that's something that's erased. So that's why I don't know. I I encourage or I guess I discourage the criticisms that are like this is an unfair portrayal of X group because it's only one snapshot in time of a particular space. You know, like I don't know. It's not a forever indictment or definition of any group. Uh, Jake, what do you think about the masculinity and the way it was represented in Blood Out? Did it make you feel bad? What's up? Go. Oh, that's a really good question. Sorry, I was distracted. <laughs> but my cat will not stop going in and out of my room, throwing the door open and making it cold in here. So that was why I was I just love that we're like going off on the masculinity <laughs> representation and we're like, Jake, listen to us silently while we talk about it. <laughs> no, I was now, listening. Cause take. I, I, didn't, yeah. I mean, I think that what you said about the sex work thing is fascinating because it didn't occur to me mm-hmm. at all. Um, I, I mean, I'm a guy, so I wasn't thinking about a lot of it because I was like, this is normal. And like, you know what I mean? Like you're, that's what like privilege is, is when you're completely, the things that you're talking about aren't jumping out at me. Cause I just like, yeah, right. This is normal mode, right. Is when guys yeah. call each other all this stuff, which is crazy. Cause I hate that about masculinity and about how it expresses itself through stuff like this. But like, um, I don't know. I mean, there was this like all of the jokes that they were making at each other it reminded me of being a teenager a lot which is the time when that sort of shit is like running rampant and is um you know horrible and painful and stuff to a lot of people in like retrospect but it uh for some reason the I, the normalcy of it like i just thought oh this is just a movie all movies from the 90s are like this like it wasn't even occurring to me like <laughs> well why is that like well, <laughs> maybe that's bad you know um i don't know i don't know i'm I'm gonna chew on this for a while and think about it because i don't know if i have a really huge take about it uh it's a I part mean, of culture that's always bummed me out like i don't think it's cool <laughs> yeah and and you're right that that's maybe the thing that it's like it's oh it's been a constant for you and it is not a constant for us i guess mm-hmm. because we don't exist in those within the, well we exist within patriarchy but not within these interactions of male hierarchy mm-hmm. but um, I do think that there is no way to really avoid 
I don't think it was intended as this, but I don't think that there is a way to avoid seeing this as a uh, exploration of masculinity masculinity within Chicano community in this place and time. Yeah, Because if you think about it, the whole thing starts with, first of all, a father and son fight, right? right. So with mm-hmm. the moment of when the son becomes strong enough and tall enough and old enough to stand up to his bully father, right? Which gets him kicked out of his house and sent to another community with another culture, with another family. And there he immediately identifies an older young male that he wants to emulate and be accepted by and be part of his world. Mm -hmm. So then everything that Miklo does is about developing his masculine identity. And then everyone else's is shown in relation to his. Yeah. You understand me? And even even the final scene is one in which what Cruz does is literally he yells at Paco and he's like, no, like, let me hug you. Like, he tries to hug him and Paco, like, tries to push him away. And so and he's like, no, like, let me hug you. Let me, like, feel this moment. It is not yeah. gay to hug your cousin. <laughs> you know, like, be okay with it. And it is very much about just, like, yelling at each other to fucking feel your feelings. <laughs> you know? You know what? So... I do kind of have a take. No, because I started with masculinity when I was talking about how, like, it all, you know, you got black guys, they dress like gangsters, and fucking Latinos dress like a different type of gangster, and then white guys dress like (laughs) Fonzarelli for some reason or whatever is their version of it. But, like, uh, all of this is about that, right? And, like, the search for meaning is, like, uh, this is a great setting for a story that explores the search for meaning in the the male world, right? Because and it's... That's why there's so many movies that are different versions of this, because like um, something I think about a lot is like how the Proud Boys happened mm. and they're a gang. They're a street gang yeah. there. It's absurd that there's an old timey street gang walking around doing Nazi shit in the modern world, partially because Nazi shit is stupid and out of place, but also because <laughs> nobody's nobody does gangs anymore. You know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> it's from a, the, the past. And like I always think about it because. I think we're living at a time that's like really extra devoid of meaning because it's not that the the systems that we had in place in the past were good necessarily, but they were there. So there were families that sort of forced you to connect with people around you in a way that your brain is kind of evolved for, right? And further back from that, I mean, there was, I'm a, kind of a big like anarcho commie guy like i'm kind of i kind of believe in primitive communism and like we were happy when we were kind of sitting around the fire and stuff like that and like our brains were evolved towards that and so i think that we're displaced you know um so you know well, however you feel about that i mean i don't know that we could argue about that but, but like so i guess what i'm getting at is author and i agree with that but i don't think it is possible to return to the past sure please continue totally <laughs> read the new david graver thing it's crazy yeah so um <laughs> What I'm getting at is like that that we like we don't everyone's life is meaningless now and everyone's the joker because you're just like alone in a cube and you're like, well, okay, families don't exist and religions don't exist and these gangs don't exist anymore either. So I don't really have like the the, the modern version of this story is the Joker. You just go crazy because you're just like alone or whatever. Totally. But the Mm -hmm. like there are these semblances of things that people 
kind of still have like comedy is a gang comedy is kind of a fucking totally thing. oh my god jake thank you for bringing it up first oh right. my god <laughs> well, right it's the whole concept of the podcast gold, right? gold star for me for all, not bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> all rhizomes lead back to comedy is the fucking <laughs> point I'll, of the show i'll throw my two cents in now that you brought it up <laughs> <laughs> and i mean you see you fucking see, it's obvious as clear as day when you see comedians like you know the story of their life somehow is their story of them becoming a comedian and then like you know existing in this world and finding their place within this huge fucking menagerie and of people involved in something known as comedy some people need to get super famous some people are like fine just kind of being a feature act or whatever like there's a place for us all and it makes us our lizard brain kind of activate and mm. go like you know oh i'm a person now. right yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and so what this, to bring, I guess. So this is about masculinity, right? Like, what am I getting at? Fuck, I had a thing, and I, I have fuck, I have a thing. Well, that, I can pick it up from. Well, you were maybe getting to the fact, I don't know, that uh, comedy, right? So, I think from where you were going to is that that this is what leads to this like crazy way where sometimes comics will turn into like this knee jerk, de facto defender of comedy. Mm-hmm. Cap capital C. Right. It's like they're thing right is that where you're going and then they become this like you can't throw comedians under the bus you can't criticize comedy what are you you're not a real comedian and just like oh, acting wow. like the, the club or the cult is being defaced <laughs> yeah. like, because for them it was the first and only place maybe that they ever found all of this like the right like they belong to a thing and they're a cog mm-hmm. in the machine and they have a clear role and they have um superiors that they are happy to follow and who like them and pat them on the head you know like so to me that's why I agree with everything you're saying and so I don't know to maybe like possibly end it on the same old conclusion but like it just seems like there has to be a middle ground between blood in blood out and the joke right <laughs> right okay yeah. I remember because what it I was... can't be it cannot be I will destroy myself to be a supreme individual and it cannot be I will destroy myself to aggrandize this outside outer group yeah neither one of those things are right. conducive to self-realization or a happy life or safety mm-hmm. and security or any of those things. okay I remembered what I was getting at and mm-hmm. you're right this all plays into it. Um, I'm going to go introduce another branch to the fucking rhizome here, which is um, so I've been reading this book. It's about PTSD. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. It's very famous. Right. Mm-hmm. In it, they talk about um, like this tendency. When I read this, I fucking threw the book across the room. I was like, fuck, you know, this, this, this is happening. I've seen this a million times. This tendency of people who are traumatized uh, in similar ways to like form groups with each other because they're like literally no one else knows what it's like to be like an Iraq war veteran. So I hang out with my other Iraq war veterans and all we do is talk about the thing that happened to us in the war (laughs) because (laughs) what trauma does is it, according to this model anyway, which I think is, I think it, I subscribe to it. I think this makes sense. Right. Is, uh, if you're like fucking shell shocked by something that happened in like a war, you're like, um, you're like, uh, like that's the, you're, central nervous system in order to protect you puts up all these fucking walls around you. And so you're what's called hyper vigilant and mm-hmm. you survive through life with a lot of walls around you, which makes you tough, which is a big part of masculinity is everyone's always on guard, right? Everyone's always protecting mm-hmm. themselves. Um, but the thing that sucks about it is that if you have this, you feel numb all the time. You never really feel alive. 
the only time you ever really feel alive is when you are re-experiencing the thing that traumatized you because that's the last time your body allowed you to feel like crazy right or to feel (laughs) like high levels of just being alive so that's why like war veterans will sit around with groups of people who they all talk about their their stories right comedians always talk about this edgelords are like oh you know i make all these rape jokes because it's a thing that's really dark to me so i fucking invert Mm -hmm. it right everyone does sublimation in comedy it's like a big fucking thing right um uh snm is the same thing right you're fucking having crazy sex and you're like reliving some crazy thing that happened to you it's this thing that just everyone fucking has like in some version or another in uh the world of not me. I'm extremely healthy and <laughs> sorry. <laughs> just not everyone, but a lot of people. Just kidding. God, I was kidding. Go on. But the guys, you know, it's like it's not expressed. It's like um, mm-hmm. it's like uh, you don't talk about the thing. So you've had very yeah. fucking thin moments where you're able to like kind of be a human with your other guy friends or whatever. And so like you form these cultures. But in the group, in, oh, in the here's I'll get I'll write it all out and I'll I'll no, no, pass yeah. the mic. I, Yeah, no, the only thing I was going to say is that because the fucking walls that you put up to be strong and shit, they also Mm -hmm. keep out the nice feelings. Right. It's not like nice feelings and positive things have a ladder. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yeah, so if you're going to be like put up this hard shell for all the to keep all the bad things out in life, you're also going to keep out all the good things in life and have no feelings. Right. Go on, Jake. (laughs) So this is where I'm kind of at with this is I think there's like two different types of families, a good one and a bad one. And so what, like, there's like a right way to do this and a wrong way to do this. And what, thank you for tuning in for Freud hour. Okay, <laughs> I'm, talking, I'm not talking about your family that you came from. I mean, I'm talking about your second family that you formed. Yeah. Like as an adult. Um, so he talks about this thing's right through the book across the room and it's holy shit. So there's this tendency of people with PTSD to seek each other out. And then they form these communities and the communities are based on the identity that we all have this thing in common. But what happens then is instead of everyone getting along at being this great thing that comedians are always talking about, like, oh, comedy's my family or whatever, is that it forms into a situation where there's rules to it. And anyone that deviates from the rituals that these people operate on by virtue of having this one really specific thing in common, then gets outgrouped. And then it's like, fuck you, you re-traumatized all of us by fucking stepping on one of these things around this thing that we're all sort of yeah. perversely working around. And that's how it becomes this thing where comedians this are like... Comedy's daddy now. Ganging up on somebody who <laughs> fucking went the other way from them, which is yeah. me, right? And then they're like, fucking fuck you. And I'm like, I am a comic, it doesn't make any sense, right? Um, but like, the, I mean, this is why, <laughs> this is why there's so many great movies, especially like... Um, the Fast and the Furious movies where they talk about family and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What is the thing they all call each other in this fucking movie that's so central to this culture? Carnal. It means you're my fucking Carnal. flesh, right? So yeah. you're flesh. recreating like the, the good kind of family, actual family with your friends. Yeah. And this whole thing is a quest to get into that ditch at the end of the movie and sh- grab yeah. your friend and shake them and go, even through all this we like there's i actually connect to you i'm not doing this like false connection thing where we're open micers and we're just addicted to talking to each other or whatever i don't know if you like comedy or any of the fast and furious movies then you should be in a gang and you should back up all gang related uh support laws and policies and such well in comedy i've made a lot of great friends from comedy but the thing is that they're friends first and not other members of comedy Right. But that's what makes them friends. Right. And I think it's the other people who are members of comedy who think you are friends are the ones who are wrong. You get me? Yeah. I don't know. But 
are you brothers because you suffer in some of these things? I think so, right? But then what is wrong is they're the ones who don't understand that even though you're not friends, you are brothers. And so they should hear your criticism or they should hear when you disagree or they shouldn't be like attacking anyone who's not 100% on their side within this group because you're brothers. That's what blood in, blood out. That's what Cruz tells us at the end of the movie, (laughs) right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Fuck. So it is about stand-up comedy, you guys. Watch it again. <laughs> you'll be you'll see. <laughs> you have three hours to kill. Watch it again. You'll see. Everything's about Any other amazing historical facts that you want to share with us about this movie? Um, yeah. Uh, no. Um what's what's funny to me, what's funny to me really quick, um, is that um the three uh protagonists, the three main characters, um, like Damien Chapa is is like mixed. Uh, predominantly white. Benjamin Bratt is Peruvian. Um, so hot too. So hot. But like, <laughs> and then he went on to be a Law and Order cop. Yeah, remember that? Yeah. So that's what I was like. Oh, this is how they saw him in Blood In, Blood Out Bring as a cop. Boarded. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Jesse Borrego was is Mexican, but he's from Texas, right? So it's like it's really interesting because um, none of them were actually um, East Los Chicanos um, mm-hmm. playing this role, and that you know, kind of goes back to the fact that, you know, we as Latinidad, as Mestizaje, don't have a lot of opportunities for representation. So that's why this movie, even though it's like really cringe and like about a very specific enclave and, a you know, and a ver- of a very specific, um, you know, diaspora group, um, also resonated with a bunch of different other people who are um, kind of in the blanket of that group, in the ballpark of that group. Because, I mean, that's, that's all we got. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, look, yeah. ninety-three. Is there anything like it since that you would say caught all of Latinos' attention in a similar way? And I understand that we don't have like a monoculture kind of situation happening as right. much as we did in the early nineties. Right. But I still don't think there's anything like that. It's certainly not any Lin Manuel Miranda bullshit. Yeah, definitely not. And I think you know, um, I would say that um, it was kind of like a like a, a down hill move after that like you had yeah. uh, mi vida loca you had um mi familia and but those movies ended up being really niche anyway yeah and didn't really have the same like impact um yeah as, as blood in blood out and its predecessors yeah too bad because it was fucking really great uh i did read int- an interesting fact that i read <laughs> i don't know if it's interesting but i thought it was weird uh so you know that they like filmed some scenes in the prison in St. Quentin Mm -hmm. and so it was an active it is an active prison you know so like there are people who were actual prisoners at the time are there as extras uh Mm -hmm. some of the um security guard what do you call them whatever correctional correctional officers thank you they're like real correctional officers who like got to be in the movie and then what I thought was super weird is uh Danny Trejo had been in prison in St. Quentin, which like I knew that he had a criminal past before he became an actor, but I didn't know that he literally had to go film scenes in the prison where he was actually in prison. It's crazy, right? Crazy, dude. That's That's insane. Yeah. So talk about a fucking like when people are like the American dream isn't real. Oh, that reminds me of something actually that I wanted to say about Miklo. Oh my God. My last thing. And then Jake throw it to you, but like, (laughs) uh, one thing that I thought was like uh, important about Miklo or like what I think he represents for all Latinos in America is this kind of like, what do you call it? Like Latino slash American dream mm. ethic. All right. Because if you remember the last second to last scene or like towards the end when Paco comes to see Miklo in jail, 
right? After Paco figures out, like, you used me so that you could pull off this trick. Mm -hmm. So for anybody who hadn't seen the movie, basically what Miklo ends up doing is he betrays Montana. Like, he sets Montana up to get killed because he decides that what he's doing for La Onda is wrong by keeping them out of the coke business. Mm -hmm. And instead, he's going to make a move to expand La Onda to multiple cities. So he sets up the fake request from the Black uh, group to kill um, Montana. And then he, all of the like heads of La Onda get split up to other prisons. And Paco comes to see, oh, because what happens is first the, uh, sorry, the Black group and the Mexicans get together to kill the Aryans. And then once the Aryans are dead, <laughs> the Mexicans kill the Black people. <laughs> okay, so then... It was like this big power move by Miklo to be the most important guy in the jail, which was then a bigger power move to try to expand to make La Onda bigger to multiple cities, right? So here we have this guy who like started from, I just want to belong somewhere and I'm just trying to survive, to the only way to actually survive is to dominate and to destroy others and to mm -hmm. expand as much right. as possible, which to me is what the actual American dream really means, right? So here's this person who he tells Paco, like, he's like, oh, you know, I think I don't hate you. I love you. I think of you as my brother. I think of you at the time that you like took me to the hospital when we got shot because we did this is like you standing my, by me as a brother. And he's saying like, you taught me my morality. And then he mm -hmm. goes, but uh, I also like think of the fact that you shooting my leg off me going to jail. All of this was just taking me to my destiny. Damn. It's all this conversation about how everything you suffer and everything you lose is meant to be if it is in the purpose, like for the purpose of achieving more and having more, which includes power and things and money. Mm -hmm. And so it's it was this conversation which very clearly showed Miklo as actually somebody who succeeded in the American dream, even though we don't think of that as success. But if we define the American dream as like, completely leaving behind all of your morals <laughs> and identity <laughs> and community in order to succeed financially and socially in terms of status, then he fucking is winning at the American dream. And so I think it's like this fucked up great warning character. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think of that? I think it's absolutely what he is, but I mean, that's yeah. not like if you you're saying that out loud right now and thinking through it and you think that's a wacko take, I don't think it's a weird one at all because it's like, mm -mm. that's yeah. what Scarface is. That's what the dude in fucking Goodfellas is like every character in a mob yeah. movie is, yeah. is kind of it's like the American dream kills, right? Yeah. And it's one of those funny things where you're like, okay, why are there millions of fans of this that like, don't get it? Like they're like, they don't get he's it. cool. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, yeah. there's like memes about that, right? About like how, mm -hmm. uh, the he wasn't actually the hero starter kit or whatever there's like a yeah. million characters like this where he's actually a warning and a commentary on all of society and why you should see this as a tragedy right <laughs> yeah uh, and not and not a, a story where he could very well have uh become this fucking crazy uh, you know powerful person and not had all this yeah. bad stuff happen i think that's how most people see right. it i think they see it as like oh, it's tragic that he didn't become, like, a better gang leader or whatever, you know, without yeah. having to kill yeah. all these people. But it's like, get that's... out and become, like, a mogul. The, but that's not know, that's possible. What I mean. like, they want... yeah. <laughs> it's inherent in the thing. This is what the story is supposed to tell you, you know? Mm -hmm. I guess. But I also just mainly want nobody to take away from this that Benjamin, that Paco was, like, the good guy or mm -hmm. that he lived happily ever after because maybe he did live on to, like, whatever, retire as a cop and have kids and whatever the fuck. 
but he's not happy. He hates himself. He betrayed on every. He betrayed everything he like believed yeah. as a young man. I think the best yeah. view reading of this, and the smartest reading of almost any story, most of the time, is like that. It's this Shakespearean tragedy where like everyone's off. <laughs> everyone's, everyone's worse tragic. off, right? Yeah. The fact that that guy's a cop yeah. sucks. When I was watching it, I was like, oh god, is this gonna turn into a thing where he's the hero? Because that would <laughs> yeah. fucking suck. But I, I think yeah. it ends on this juxtaposition between totally you know this Nobody wins. the thing mm-hmm. that miklo ends up doing and now i'm so glad you asked me that masculinity question because now i'm like seeing it like all over it and i'm going like <laughs> you know it wasn't even it's tragic it wasn't even his fault yeah. that he fell into the trappings of like domination and and this horrible fucking way of yeah. living because mm-hmm. i mean he went to fucking prison which is like prison is a hyper amped up version of that i've never been to prison but a jail for yeah. a while and it fucking yeah. it's you're oh. Mo- way more than your normal just walking around life you have this thing where you no, as a dude normally especially when you're a teenager and you don't have a fucking sense of self yet and you're unsafe and you just have to survive around other people and you can't just go to yeah. your own house there's a constant sense around other dudes of like if you step out of line and i really think this tracks to that fucking ptsd shit i was talking about but that's for another podcast yeah. but there's a constant sense that i feel like i'm yelling at you too because i feel like women don't experience this so i'm <laughs> taking out my shit on you but you don't understand what it's like there's a constant threat of if you fucking are you know you're gay or something like you do a thing that's against the fucking like unspoken sacred codes that we fucking kill you and it's usually will beat you up if you're a teenager or whatever but totally no but jake you know and i know that you know this but um with uh i guess with non-men because i would say of all genders uh, because we never had the power to set the, the hierarchy anywhere that we go, our method of punishment is exile. Sure. Mm. So instead of being like, we will kill you or force you into position, it will be like, we will ice you out and we will make you feel not feminine enough, not right. X enough, not right enough. We will frame our own femininity and identity on shitting on you. Mm-hmm. Like, it is emotionally destructive in the way that I see that masculinity is physically and psychologically. Yeah. Isn't yeah. it incredible all the different horrible things that we could come up with? Yeah, that we other? do to each other. <laughs> we find a way. We uh, so, life finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> I think the point of this movie is the fi- yeah. the final end of the story is this juxtaposition between this guy who thinks he's happy but he's actually in hell, and because he's in this fucking hyper threatening like you know mm-hmm. he has, he's more hyper vigilant than anybody else in the fucking movie because he's yeah. literally driven himself insane and he has to live in a nothing so he just embraces it he's just like this was what it is to be a person Ooh, totally but- and if you think of the cop uh the cop also lives in a world where he's not okay he's not accepted in either world right. in the chicano world you're a traitor and you're a cop yeah and in the cop world you're not a real cop and like the white cops make jokes about latinos around him and like well that's he, why that's yeah. why the writers were like so pissed off that D- the disney was like don't put this out because of the uprisings because they're saying like in capitalism in in this hyper um uh you know pressure cooked community nobody's winning no, everybody's mm-hmm. fucked. And this movie is about how everyone's fucked. It's not exactly. about like glorifying uh, any of it. Yeah, it's not glorifying anything. It's it's yeah. addressing the fact that like walking on the side of the law or not, you're fucked. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, this is the exact same thing that like that happened when the Joker came out and people were like, don't show it because it's glorifying being an angry yeah. young man. It's like, no, it's just about that, which is like, yeah. watch yeah. it and learn and you might fucking figure out how to fix this or something or just experience it and empathize. Or just know it's a thing. Yeah. yeah. And just admit it's a thing. <laughs> right. You know? Pretend that it doesn't exist because you don't like it or you don't find it tasteful. Yeah. But ultimately, yeah. the best thing about this movie it's just the way everyone talks. I am not <laughs> – my head now is permanently just like, yeah, mon- smooth like Montaquilla on a tortilla, carnal. <laughs> I have to stop myself from doing it because I do feel like I'm doing like mocking Mexicans, but I don't mean to. It's that it I sounds know. so cool. I, <laughs> it's fucking cool. I, but I, I, I do it sometimes because it's just like – my dad actually does talk like that. And oh, it is- so sexy. <laughs> it's like it's it's just funny like sometimes i'll just do it and i was doing it like today because i was watching the movie and my my husband was like it's fun <laughs> no, shut up. you don't get to yeah. do it but I, i'll do it uh, yeah exactly <laughs> so go out there watch blood and blood out i also ooh, we didn't touch on this but there's also something that's really offensive to me which is that um this movie is not available anywhere Mm. It, I couldn't find it streaming anywhere. Uh, my lover bought it on DVD actually because he, yeah. yeah, he enjoys these like old timey, especially Chicano movies. And I guess that apparently at some time he tried to find it, figured out he couldn't, so he bought it on DVD. And it looks like from what I can find that it's just been like vaulted by Disney. And oh, I, I can't find why. any other reason other than them feeling like it's politically dangerous. It's probably uh, Disney. Disney's they're, they're yeah. fucking nerds, and they you know they worry about yeah. family values and shit. Yeah, and... exactly. Ooh, Disney. This was my family. They, exactly. Right. It's like why won't you let our family look at our family movies? <laughs> well, Disney's famous for having that vault, which they just like talk yeah. about. Oh, we take a thing. A thing is out of it. Now it's in it. It's like fuck yeah. you. All this stuff should be public domain. <laughs> oh my god! No, Disney did the like cartoon. You know, out of the vault special <laughs> edition, and it's like blood and blood. It's just vatos coming out. And cartoons yeah. <laughs> yeah. um i even i looked up as to whether it was about the music and it's not about the music because there are two soundtracks for the movie mm-hmm. uh one soundtrack was made for the movie under the title blood in blood out but then the studio changed the title to what the fuck was it? out bound. of bounds ba- bound, by, bound honor. by honor yeah bound by honor and so when they changed it to Bound by Honor, they made a new soundtrack under that title by a different artist. Mm. So that is the official one. And the first one is not available. Like people can't find it. Ooh. Right. Because so the Blood In, Blood Out original one is not available. But it doesn't. But there's no nothing I can find online about there being no rights to the music to the one that came out with Bound by Honor. And yet the movie under either title is not available streaming anywhere. So if you find a DVD somewhere, uh, email whyyoumadpod at gmail.com for our address so you can send it to me. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, anything else you guys wanted to say, talk about, mention, plug, anything like that? Um, yeah, I just want to say thank you for letting me be a Vato Loco forever with you guys. And um, my podcast is Hog Girl Agenda, and you can follow us on Twitter at Hog Girl Agenda, and you can give us your money to keep recording at patreon.com slash Hog Girl Agenda. Thank yeah. you so much for doing the show, Yes, Yeah, we love Hog Girl Agenda. Great, fun, leftist show uh, led by non-men who kick ass and have great guests <laughs> on. And um, 
definitely recommend that you support them and listen to the show. Uh, and thank you for fucking coming up with the idea. I love when somebody is like passionate about something and is like, this is something for why you mad. Let's make Jake and Louisa watch it and talk about it. It's my favorite episode. Thank you. Yes. Jake, what are you going <laughs> to? Yeah. Jake, what are you going to plug? What are you going to do? Um, Oh, by the way, you should go back sometime because we we originally when we talked about this, we were talking about like ten other things too. So there's always yeah. we can talk about. Zoot I'd love Zoot. to come back. We can I'd talk love about to come back, dude. And talk oh about my god, Jesse, have you seen um the Virgin show? What's her fucking name? Uh, God, what's it called? Uh, are you talking about Jane the Virgin? Jane the Virgin. Yes. Yeah. Did you watch it? Yes, we I have did. to talk about Jane the Virgin because I will say that I think it is probably the greatest Latinidad show in like the last five to ten years that's pretty amazing we should period talk about that. yeah so let's do that we can totally do that anything else that anybody listening thinks that yes would be a great guest for write to us man we're always looking for ideas because we don't think up ideas on our own <laughs> okay sorry jake what were your plugs go ahead <laughs> um i don't have that many plugs i'm doing a show uh, i'll post about it on twitter on the 29th of december uh Ooh, at- new york Young Ethel's that um what's That's his face runs no it's in it's in uh, New York it's, oh where um it's at Young Ethel's it's in Manhattan I think no fuck is it Parcel I don't know look at me hey. up I'm doing a show somewhere in fucking New York gotta, I was gotta, gotta, trying gotta. to take the month off but then I got invited to do a good show and I was like fuck it I'll do it um awesome other shows Pod Damn America and uh. My new album's out, and it's on Spotify and shit. And I think that's all I have to plug. I'm chilling for now. Excellent. I got nothing. Follow us on uh, Why You Mad Pod and all the fucking things. And then also, uh, <clears throat> if you want to pay for our extra episodes, we usually do a mailbag. But we do other things, too, especially by request. Uh, Patreon.com slash Why You Mad. That's the thing. That's it. Okay. Bye. Fatos Locos for Life. <laughs> Forever? What are you Forever. talking about? Oh shit! Oh shit! Fuck! 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 Take it out! Cut, cut it out of the podcast! I got it wrong. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> oh, bro.